Welcome to What's the Story, Pekin, a podcast where we share stories about what's happening in Pekin as told by their authors. These are the people who are at the center of many local events. They are in the know and here to share their story, their role in it, and the possibilities of things to come. I'm Gary Gillis, your host, and welcome to today's show. Well, today's guest is Len Ely, the Assistant Superintendent of Pekin District 108. Len, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I, I thought I'd start things off a little bit. Um, I, I know, you know one thing that uh, we all remember from grade school is getting our infamous report cards. And I thought I would uh, ask you to give a report card on what uh, District 108 is doing. And maybe in part, our last podcast we had as a guest, uh, Dr. Danielle Owens of the high school. And your job primarily is to prepare children for high school. So a report card perhaps to that effect. And like, I don't know if you did, but my report cards had little comments off to the side. Uh, a lot of people will be amazed to, to, to know that some of them said, uh, um, too quiet. Uh, and things, you, yeah, yeah, no, things okay. like that. So we do grow out of uh, out of those shortcomings. Uh, but uh, so, in in a few words, um, what would be the report card for District One Hundred Eight, and maybe in given areas or certain disciplines? I would say we're kind of in a rebirth right now with our uh, academic curriculum. And I, what I mean by that, I'll give you some. I'm going to give you some history here. So going back to about 2010. A couple of things happened that year. That was right after the Great Recession mm -hmm. of uh, 2008, and funding literally just fell out from underneath us. State, local, federal, um, a lot of things. We put a reduction plan in place, and we decided we, we met with everybody in, in the district and said, okay, what do we need to focus on? And their goal was to say, let's keep class sizes as small as possible. And so we started eliminating things before people, because we had to, we had no choice. Um, then slowly but surely those things disappeared and we're talking about resources curriculum all of those types of things and then we had to start eliminating interventionists reading interventionists reading support uh, paraprofessionals uh, coaches those types of things and so slowly the, in those eight years the program just started dwindling and it started to impact you know what was going on in the classroom as well because even though he kept the class sizes the same things were changing around them. Then the second thing that happened was um, all the learning standards changed. So in 2010, English language arts as well as math changed. Shortly after that, um, science standards changed. Then PE standards changed. And then um, fine arts changed. What's interesting, the one that didn't change was social studies, hmm. which is gonna start this fall. But um, all that stuff happened at one time. And in order to, to adjust to those new curriculums and hit those new standards, you need, you need resources, you need time, and you, you just need funds, and we didn't have any of those. So we got to the place where things were getting really uh, bare, and teachers were rolling up their sleeves and trying to figure out how to Im implement this new these new standards and new curriculum without any resources and professional development. Then, in about 2018, the state legislator, legislation changed their uh, funding method for schools. And it's called evidence-based funding and it's based on 20 plus characters of school demographics and all of those types of things and what it did is it helped us realize what adequate funding would be for us and the state said in order to run a district your size 
you need about $43 million. We were operating about 21,000. Hmm. And so the idea for the state was they're gonna slowly raise our, our funding up to match our need. And that was good news. So we were excited. And so we, one of the first things we did, we got a math curriculum and we started implementing that. And then guess what happened in 2020, a year later, COVID hits sure. and all of it was put on pause. And so we're at a time when I talk about rebirth, I think we've, we're coming back out of this now and it's an exciting time. We're going to really look at, you know, professional development for teachers, resources for kids, all of those things. And it's just been a, an interesting road to last. 10 years. Well, you mentioned changing standards. Can you more clearly define those a little bit for people? Because, um, you know, all of us think back to our primary school experience, and obviously it's changed and evolved. And uh, so how is it today? They're, um, I, I agree standards are important. They're very high standards. They look at what the students need to be successful in college as well as in careers. You've heard that term in college and career readiness mm-hmm. all the time. Um, major adjustments, and they're doable. It's just going to take time to do them. But asking kids to do more, expecting more of the kids to do. Um, and frustrating part about it is the standards are great, but if you did every standard and tried to do every one of them once a day, you would almost need a full school year and almost double a school day. Sure. Well, you mentioned COVID. Um, what's being done? Obviously, kids fell behind nationwide, worldwide. Yes. Uh, what's being done to at least attempt to catch them back up? And what type of timetable do you foresee with that? That's yeah. I, this is one of the things I'm very proud of is we built a COVID rebuilding plan, and we started that back last March. And what we did is all the extra funding we're getting from the Relief Act is we're putting it back into what's going to help students. So I'll give you an example. We've hired 16 interventionists. All those things that we lost between 2010 and 2018, we brought them back in addition to more. So we have math interventionists as well as reading interventionists. We hired uh, three new counselors for the primary level so that every building in the district has a counselor on staff to meet the social-emotional needs of kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, A psychologist was hired. We have a data manager now to help us kind of organize everything and really you know, focus in on what needs to be done for kids. So I feel like everything that we are doing is for kids. Sure. Right? You know, so what's the, what's the task of an interventionist? Well, it, what they do is we do what we call universal screeners. And so it's called a map. And it gives a, a snapshot of where the kids are with their peers. And then the kids on the lower end that are struggling, we kind of go deeper with diagnostic tools to see what is the kid's deficit. You know, is it... it adding or subtracting is it calculation whatever it is sure and then the interventionist goes after that and tries to you know raise the kid back up to his peers and get him back on track oh that's great well i see on your website you refer to the malcolm baldridge performance excellence model can you explain that a little bit that was something that was back in really 20 2006 okay and so it's something that's not really around anymore and it's a set of principles of how a school can, should conduct itself. Mm. It has um, some standards that looks at leadership, management, um, data collection, all those things. And we've tried to maintain that. And again, with all, all the things that have happened in the last decade, it's kind of fallen, fallen apart. Sure. But what's nice is we're looking at doing a new strategic planning process, uh, not this coming year, but the following year. 
Okay. Well, and obviously things evolve and have, have moved from that. And what you've just explained certainly is, is uh, something needed to be done. Uh, but uh, tie into that is, you know, surveys around the country share parental concerns about curriculum content. Uh, somewhat controversial, but, you know, the concern about teaching kids uh, as young as five about things like gender identity and, and sexual orientation because it's generated such headlines and, and certainly a national dialogue. Um, it's something that, that you'd care to comment about? I think it's one of those, you know, years ago, all school districts had a lot of local control. Your community could set what you'd like to be taught in the schools. And over the years, these mandates creeped in from this, you know, Springfield. You have to add this, you have to do that, and those, those types of things. What's nice about these new standards, this, when we're talking about the sex education standards in particular, is it's optional for our school district. And so we still have local control on that. And we've decided not to, at this point, go that route. It, these issues rise up. CRT, critical response theory, all those things pop up, and they're all political pawns in, in this game, and then we get, as the schools get wrapped up in it. Mm -hmm. And um, we're not focusing on that, we're focusing on what's doing best for kids. Well, the one reason I'm glad you're here as assistant superintendent, my experience with friends in the past who have been assistant superintendents, usually they were in some ways the district's complaint department. <laughs> so, you know, they had, they had a field, some of those parental concerns and especially some of those disciplinary things, et cetera. How are things right now? What are some of the questions you're fielding or the, the concerns expressed by, by parents? Probably a large majority is this transition back to normal. Um, this is this will probably surprise you, but we went to a remote learning school last year. Uh, with all the restrictions for COVID and everything, we had to do divide our day into two. So we had an A schedule and a B schedule. Half our students came on A, half came on B. In addition to that, we offered a remote learning school. Hmm. And the reason for that was because some kids are medically fragile, some didn't believe in the mask mandates, whatever it might be. Uh, we have about 3,100 students and 700 plus elected to go to the remote school. Hmm. Wow. 50% of those students were engaged during that year. Some were not. Uh, some of those students that were in A-B schedule missed half a year because they were not engaged on that off day because they maybe they didn't log on or, or something like that. So kids are having problems adjusting back, coming back into a classroom, following the rules, following you know the, the social norms that we've had for years prior to COVID. Sure. And now we see a lot of, we talk about complaints here, my child's being bullied. This seems to be the number one complaint. And our principals do a great job, and our teachers as well, is, is checking into those matters and, and investigating those, and they take every one of those serious. And we find in the, at the end, it's the child doesn't want to be back. The child liked to be at home, or the child didn't want to, you know, doesn't want to be in that environment. And so a lot of those, most of those are false claims. Mm -hmm. But we take them seriously. And, but that's probably the number one concern right now. So how's the, what's the adjustment for the family or for the parent if, once they hear that, you know, it's really a case of your child having trouble readjusting to being back in school? 
what kind of feedback do you get or what kind of uh, response or action do you get on the part of parents? Well, there's some resistance at first, you know, because you want to believe your child. Right. Every parent wants mm-hmm. to believe their child that something's going on. But what we try to do is work with them and say, okay, if your child comes home and she has an issue or he has an issue, let us know right away. We'll check into it the next morning. We'll investigate it. We set up times where that child can go talk to the principal or talk to an adult in the building. So there's a, there's a communication loop going on all the time. And I think that helps the parent's mind at ease, puts them at ease a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, that knowing that they are taking it seriously. Maybe it is my kid. Maybe it's not, but I know that they're watching. Good. Now. Right. You know. Well, it seems like on a national level, another issue that really doesn't generate the headlines, but I think is as big a concern as curriculum content, whether it's exaggerated concern or not, uh, would be a, a national teacher shortage. And I'm sure you're facing that. And, and what's some of the thought as to how you would strategize on, on dealing with that? It is. There's no strategy right now. <laughs> it is trying to survive. Um, you know, we had COVID, that last wave that came in January, uh, knocked teachers out, knocked paraprofessionals out, knocked substitutes out. And so you're scrambling. You've got teachers covering other teachers' classrooms during plan time. Our strategy is just to try to cast the biggest net we can and get people in. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a struggle right now. There's a days when, you know, positions go unfilled, and we're trying to make the best out of it. we got principals covering classrooms. We've got school coaches covering classes, you know, counselors wow. covering classes. Well, you mentioned in 2008 that you know, your, your goal is to shrink class size, which is admirable. Are you still able to stay with that approach? Throughout all that time, we maintain class sizes, and the average class size is about 20 to 25. Even with the teacher shortage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Teacher shortage has really just hit in the last probably four years, especially this this is the worst year so far. And it seems to be all over as well. You talk to colleagues yeah. and others. And yeah, I talk to other districts, and they're in the same boat that we are. They, they can't find anybody. Um, you know, we're trying to outdo each other, and you only have so, many, so much budget. Sure. So you're just, you just want to smile and be friendly and say, hey, I'm much nicer than that guy. <laughs> you know? Well, you mentioned and pretty much shared the challenges that you face, but what would you say is probably the biggest challenge that you would face right now? It's probably just moving back to a sense of normalcy, okay. trying, to, trying to get um, people back into the rhythm of, of a normal day of school. Mm-hmm. That's students, that's teachers, and, and then trying to do that again with the teacher shortage. Um, I just think that's a challenge. Sure. Things just aren't the same. Well, speaking of teachers, um, and maybe I border on privacy issues, but... Uh, you, you know them well, and, and I know teachers make a difference. And you hear that, but it would be great to hear examples of, of teachers that have impacted the lives. Uh, you know, my daughter is in special ed teaching. My daughter-in-law teaches as well. And it's great sometimes to hear the difference they make. It just doesn't get publicized, and teachers don't expect that. But it's uh, I'd be interested to hear maybe some examples you could share of teachers who have had that impact on the lives of kids. I can share a personal example of, of, of an impact for my own personal life. Um, probably back in uh, 1980, I lost my grandfather and grandmother, um, one on each side of the my mom and dad's side. And it was a rough year for them in, in the grieving process. I cared very little about school as my eighth grade year. 
uh, I probably in actuality failed, didn't do any homework, but my teachers kind of took pity on me, gave me the, the passing D minus and moved me on to high school. Unfortunately, that had some real consequences. Um, moving up in high school, looking at them and saying, okay, just look based on your grades, we're gonna put you in a tracking system and you're gonna go in the lowest tracking system. So I literally, I had the, the classes were called like general math, mm -hmm. general science. It wasn't algebra, it wasn't trig, it wasn't you know biology, it was general whatever it was called. And I did those courses for a while and you got assigned a, a teacher to kind of monitor you and help you with these courses to keep you on track. And it was Miss Quintilianti. Um, I went to her every morning. We went down, we talked about my day. We, we opened up the book. My, she helped me get organized. And about three months into the school year, she looked at me and said, you don't belong here. You really don't belong here. You need to get out of this, out of this course, this track. And then she went on her behalf, on my behalf, she went to the dean and as well as the principal and eventually the superintendent and said, we need to move him. He's inappropriately placed and he needs to be somewhere else. And thanks to her, they did just that and they moved me two tracks up, which then allowed me to be college bound. And I don't know what would happen if, if I had stayed on that track, mm -hmm. but she had made a difference for me. And I, and I, it's funny is when you, as a, as a principal and as a teacher, even to this day, I, I haven't taught in the classroom since uh, uh, last century, 1999. Mm. But I'll still go to Walmart here in town and I'll have someone say, you were my teacher at Edison and tell me about their experience and tell me how great it was. And, mm -hmm. you know, and how, remember that time when I was sick and I wasn't feeling well and I was falling behind on homework and you stayed after school with me. And I was like, I, I don't remember that because I did that a lot. But sure. it made a difference in that person. Well, I shared with, with Danielle Owens uh, about a teacher in high school that made a, a big difference in my life. And my only regret was I wasn't able to connect with him before he passed and thanked him. And that was my message then and now. If you have a chance, you know, thank, thank a teacher. Um, my only question for you was, how did you do in spelling Miss Quintiliani's name? Was you have a spelling challenge with yes. that? Yes, here's what I did. Ready? So it was Miss Q. Yeah, that's how yeah. We, yeah. everyone called her Miss Q. I'm, I'm sure that's what what she appreciated as well. Um, you know, it seems like in in teaching nowadays that um, again, getting back to curriculum and and maybe speak a little bit to your story. You know, I'm I'm an avid reader, as you know, and and and, and passionate lover of history, and I've always been touched by how some of the greatest figures in history have come from very humble beginnings. Uh, and, and how in this country someone who perhaps wasn't considered part of the aristocracy or those that uh, you know received the highest levels of special private education those type of things um, can, can rise to levels of, of leadership so it speaks back to curriculum especially social studies and discussion of revisionism in history which personally is a little bothersome to me because of the fact that there is a lot of our history uh, that we can draw great pride and great lessons from. And if the argument is there's certain history that's not being taught, let's not revise the history we have, but just add that history because there's a lot of inspiration in that as well. So there is, do we have any concern about things you know, being changed or we go back to those beginnings? I, you know, as a former social studies teacher, I do have a lot of concerns about that. I think um, 
Political discourse is so important, and we have to have it. We've lost that civil discourse. Correct. Right. And to me, and, and you, you read, you learn all about the different aspects, and, mm-hmm. and the more you know, the better informed you are. And to start saying, well, no, we're not going to cover that, we're not going to cover this, or that should be changed, or that we should accept them the way they are, and then make informed decisions based on that. Right. We need our we need our students to be critical thinkers and problem solvers, and the only way they can do that is to see all sides of an issue. Sure. And speaking of preparing kids for high school, um, speak a little bit about the interaction you would have with District 303 and, and, and making sure that everything is properly aligned so in the transition, uh, children won't have that difficult an adjustment to going from eighth grade to ninth. I really like um, um, our principals at the junior highs have really worked with the high school to make the transition the best it can be. Um, I, I can honestly say maybe 20 years ago it wasn't like that. Um, you know, we were our district, they were their district, and that was it. But we really tried to, to figure out what are the best ways we can lead into freshman year at the high school. Mm-hmm. One of the best things, and it's just a symbolic thing, but we started holding uh, eighth grade promotion at the high school. And it's so f- uh, fitting to say, okay, you're ending your, your, your eight years or nine years with us here in 108 in 303. All right. And we're launching you off into next year, and we're going to wish you the best. And it's nice. It's nice to hand off tra- you know, Great. transition yeah, true. time. And there's no challenges or problems with that. It's it's it comes through. I'm sure with the great communication that you you yeah. both you both have, and it doesn't hurt the fact that the uh, superintendent of district 303 and yourself are both Rotarians. That makes all the difference. I, I say that with Mike Eaton, a, a famed Kwanian, sitting uh, here as well. <laughs> But speaking to that, you know, we, in that transition, one thing we'll, we have uh, at the uh, end of every school year is with Peak and Rotary, we recognize those children who finished in the top 10% uh, of their class, as well as you initiated a Service Above Self Award, and, yes. and briefly explain a little bit about that. Well, it's, one, it's nice to really recognize those that strive to be the top 10% academically. I think that's so important. But there are also students out there that do things above and beyond um, outside of school, not just in school, and that's either volunteering at school and doing something to help a teacher out or help the classmates out, but they're doing things at home for the church, for the community. And those things, to me, and this is where it ties with Rotary, that service above self. Mm-hmm. It's more important to serve others ahead of yourself. and, and I, I think students need to be recognized for that because that's just an important part of being a community. Correct. Than anything else. Right. And, and it's a, a and part of the kind of educational process. Yeah. 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 It was uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said life's most urgent and persistent question is, what are you doing for others? Mm-hmm. And that's why it's great to recognize children who you know, have enough on their plate as it is, but also give back uh, to, yeah. to others. So I, uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, finish on an optimistic note what are some things that uh, you are optimistic about going forward you've gone through this trying you know historic period of, of covid and uh, you know now coming out of that still challenges related to that but but what reasons do we have to to be real positive going forward 
Oh, try to narrow it down to what it would be, because I think we have a good good future ahead of us. Um, what I like about Peking 108, and I think 303 is the same, is everyone from district office to the school to the classroom to the assistant to our service providers. I think they, they really do what's best for students. I think that's the number one thing. We try to do what is best for students. Um, a good example would be in 2020 when we shut down. There are a lot of students that rely on school lunches. Um, we had to do something. We had to get food out to those folks. We sat down with Airmark, who provided the lunches. We sat down with the bus company, who developed the routes. The three of us worked together and, and, and got food out to our families. You know, because that's what was best for kids. And not one person in that planning said, this is not possible. We can't do this. Any obstacle came up, we found a way around it. Any barrier, we removed it. Um, that's what I like about 108. I think everyone is there for what's best for the kids. And with, this, with the new funding coming out, the new opportunities we have for the interventionist, we're going to move mountains for kids. And that's what I'm excited about. Great. That's great. Well, you know, the, the hallmark and, and bedrock of a free and functioning society is education. And so thank you for all you do. Be sure to share with your staff and, and of course, the, the wonderful teachers uh, our appreciation. That's, that's, that's uh, uh, really sometimes undershown uh, to people that really are, are critically important to the future of not only the community but the country as well. So we appreciate you being here. Um, I want to thank my producer and Kiwanian, uh, Mike Eaton. <laughs> Uh, the Pekin Public Library for providing their recording space here in the Passport uh, Room. Uh, you, the listener, for joining us. And remember, we welcome your thoughts and comments. You can email us at pekinpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. <laughs>